and welcome to episode number 160 of the Northern Miner podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I am online editor for the Northern Miner, and I also help out with social media. And coming up this episode, we have Nadine Miller, and she is independent director for West Elm Gold Mines. She appeared at the Progressive Mine Forum, and she has a very important message about cybersecurity, which I think is One of the main challenges facing any organization today, any business organization, all been confronted with these phishing emails. It's a challenge for the IT of every organization, and you will be amazed at what she says. I mean, apparently there are hackers that will short your stock, and then they will attack your processing plant, and your processing plant will be halted, it will be screwed up, and then they will profit off of that, and you won't even know that they were responsible. So be patient a little bit with the sound quality in the first few minutes there. It does improve and it's well worth it. It's very important. I mean, security, we just can't afford not to pay attention to security, cybersecurity especially. So that is coming up in our feature interview and Northern Miner Acting Editor-in-Chief Trish Saywell does the honors uh, asking the questions to Nadine. And uh, Nadine also talks about how this is an ideal time for mining companies to team up with startups because startups need the credibility that comes with working with a big mining company and the mining companies need to get more technological. There's been a lot of efforts recently, but Nadine thinks there needs to be a lot more. So anyways, that's coming up in our feature interview. And as well, we have a new TNM leaders, uh, this time with CPM Group's Jeffrey Christian. And Jeffrey Christian, we had him on about three weeks ago, and it was a great show. We got a ton of listens out of it. I mean, he is one of the main gold analysts in the world and on Wall Street. And so fascinating guy to meet and listen to. So we have a new TNM leaders there. And if you go to northernminer.com slash TNM dash leaders, you'll find that series of interviews with Jeffrey Christian. As well, the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame is coming up and that's in the new year. They still have tickets. So if you go to canadianmininghalloffame.ca slash annual dash ceremony, and you scroll down a bit, you can see you can buy tickets right there online and you can buy them for yourself or you can buy them for groups of 10 to get an entire table. And as well, they have a really nice program where if you want to donate a ticket to a student, you can also do that. So uh, Northern Miner is a founding member of the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. So we encourage you to attend and we also encourage you to donate a ticket if you can. And speaking of students, we just put out a story yesterday on all the recipients of the Young Mining Professionals Scholarships. And there were, I believe there were 10 recipients And if you want to read their bios, it's right there on the website, Young Mining Professionals announces scholarship winners. So lots going on here as usual and some dramatic, sad, some really tragic news coming out of the mining world with the news out of Burkina Faso. And we're going to get into that. And so, yeah, lots going on as well as metal prices. So if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner. And you can find us also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And turning to the website, we have the story attack on Samafo convoy in Burkina Faso kills 39, wounds 60. It's an attack on workers traveling to Samafo's Bungu mine in southeastern Burkina Faso. And again, that has left 39 dead and 60 wounded. 
A convoy of five buses escorted by military personnel came under fire on a public road about 40 kilometers from the mine. It is the third attack in the last 15 months targeting employees of the Canadian Mining Company, which operates two mines in the West African nation. Last year, five gendarmes and a subcontractor traveling to the Bungu Mine were killed, and that was in August 2018. And also in August, later that month, an employee and subcontractor were killed while traveling to Samafo's Mana Mine. In southwestern Burkina Faso, 260 kilometers southwest of the capital Ugadugu. And the deaths that happened last year prompted the Quebec based Samafo to start flying expatriate employees by helicopter between Ugadugu and other cities and its two operating mines. The northern miner tried to contact Samafo, but they could not be reached for comment. They released a press release on November 11th where President and CEO Benoit Desarmeaux said that, quote, in addition to the impact on people, the unprecedented scale and nature of the attack has made basic administration and logistics very difficult. It will take some time to evaluate the new operating environment and to assess how we will be able to operate in a safe and secure manner in Burkina Faso. Until such time, the Bugu Mine operation will continue to be suspended. A total of 241 employees, contractors, and suppliers were involved in the ambush, the company confirmed. Of those killed, 19 were employees of Australian mining services provider Parenti Global, formerly Austril, and to work for Geodrill. It is unclear if any group has claimed responsibility, but Karina Dufka, Associate Director in the Africa Division of Human Rights Watch, says it's, quote, reasonable to assume the attackers were armed Islamists. She says, quote, they are known to be present in that particular area. They have been targeting the mining sector recently, and they have been ratcheting up their attacks on the security forces. She says in an interview from Washington, D.C., quote, there's a patchwork of armed dissident groups in Burkina Faso allied to both the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda, Those active in eastern Burkina Faso have more often been allied with the Islamic State, but it's too early to say which group this is. Thomas Abbey Hanna, global security analyst for geopolitical intelligence group Strat4, notes that if the numbers of fatalities is correct, quote, it would be the single deadliest militant attack in Burkina Faso since 2016. In addition to the deaths, many are believed to have been kidnapped. So some extremely tragic news out of Burkina Faso. I was a little surprised at how little press this got in the mainstream, in the larger news outlets. I mean, this is a significant amount of people. Trish Saywell put this report together. You can read the rest of it on northernminer.com. It's a developing story, but it's a brutal story. And so our hearts go out to the families of everybody who was involved in that devastating attack. In other news, we have Mexico's environmental authority halts Almaden's Ixtaca project. And Almaden's, for those who have been around for a while, Almaden Minerals' Ixtaca project has always sort of been around. I mean, I remember when I first started getting interested in the junior miners, when I first subscribed to the Dines Letter back in, gosh, what must be 2009, 2010, and I think El Madden was one of his picks. I don't think it did too well, but that was when I first heard about Ixtaca. So it's one of those sort of projects that, for those who have been around for a while, you're kind of familiar with this name and with this project. And it looks like they're having some issues. It says here, the story is by Jean Lien, 
And she writes, Mexico's environmental authority, Simarnat, has suspended the permitting process for El Madden Minerals' Extaca Gold Silver Project in the state of Puebla, pending the resolution of a lawsuit that challenges the country's mineral title system. The lawsuit, filed by the Tecoltami community of about 150 people in Puebla State, contends that the granting of mineral titles without prior indigenous consultation is unconstitutional and a violation of human rights is set out under the International Labor Organization's Convention 169. In April, a lower court in the state ruled that Mexico's mineral title system is unconstitutional, and as a result, the original mineral claims that had been granted to El Madden should be suspended while the necessary consultation is completed. The court's decision is currently being appealed by the Mexican Congress, the Senate, the Secretary of Economy and Mining Authorities, and the company as an affected third party to the lawsuit. And we have a quote from El Madden President and CEO Morgan Poliquin, and he says the claims the company currently owns have nothing to do with the Tecoldemy community. Quote, our development of the mining area is kilometers away and our current mineral claims do not overlap with this community, he said in a recent interview with the Northern Miner. He also said the company has been advised that the Samarnet has no grounds to delay the permitting process on this basis because its mandate is to review the technical merits of the environmental permit applications, and none of the 12 communities within the area of El Madden's current claims covering the Extaca project are parties to the lawsuit. You know, it's interesting... We've been talking about Argentina, we've been talking about Ecuador, and Bolivia's president just fled the state after weeks of protests. That hard, another story that hardly got any coverage until, you know, a couple few days ago when he actually left. You know, we think about Mexico as a stable mining jurisdiction. Uh, Argentina was starting to get that reputation. Ecuador was really fighting hard to build that reputation with their PDAC days and... You see how challenging it is to actually do that. I mean, one thing's for the government to want to do that. Another thing is to actually get your country on board. And here, like, I mean, in Mexico, I mean, Mexico is seen as one of the most reliable places. You're starting to face, I mean, Canada faces similar issues. I mean, this ind- indigenous consultation, again, I, I keep I keep coming back to this. Go back to those Bill Gallagher episodes. I think it was episode 139. There's a two-part interview that John Cumming, our former editor-in-chief, did, and you we'll really see how huge of a story this indigenous consultation issue is because the whole titles and claims, I mean, look at what El Madden is facing here. There's a claim to the title. Uh, the lawsuit challenges the country's mineral title system. So this is to the very ownership, the legitimacy of passing ownership, as far as I understand, that is the title of a property. So no small matter over here. I mean, again, I mean, and circling back to how we opened this little segment, El Madden's had this property for years, and they've been developing it. So it's pretty crazy when somewhere like Mexico, you can put this much work into it, and all of a sudden it's like, no, sorry, actually this doesn't belong to you, and the court will enforce it. So interesting times, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot changing out there, and that's not to say that the indigenous community, the Tecoltemi, don't have legitimate issues here, so uh, no one's taking a side here. We are simply reporting this, but it's, it's pretty amazing, and nevertheless, 
And so, yeah, so that's out of Mexico. Uh, Jean Lian is reporting on that. Also on the website, we have, I mean, strangely enough, I mean, another story out of Burkina Faso, I mean, from Ilam Gold, they just put out a study that is that suggests expanding their Essex Cane mine. And yeah, I mean, that's, they're just humming along there. They want to increase the carbon and leach plant capacity and postpone the heap leach operation to the end of the mine life. And they're saying that that's more economical than operating both a heap leach and a carbon and leach in parallel. So yeah, so that's another just sort of strange thing. This this mine is 330 kilometers northeast of Ugadugu. So you see, there's a lot going on in the world. One side of the country, you see absolute devastation and tragedy. On the other side, they're planning expansion. So I don't know if what happened, what that does to IM Gold's plans, if it changes anything, if, it, if it's just, who knows? Like, I mean, on the ground, how, you know, like some of these countries, if you go to certain areas, I mean, Mexico is a great example of this. I mean, people will say it's fine to travel in certain areas of Mexico uh, for the drug war that you don't really have anything to worry about, but you go to other areas and they're just no-go zones. So... I mean, maybe that's what's going on here in Burkina Faso, but I don't claim any expertise in that area. We just see the story. So that's also out of Burkina Faso. Uh, I am Gold is, uh, has a plan that could make their Essacane gold mine uh, more profitable. I also thought I'd share this comment from last week's episode on John Felderhoff and Briex. We got a comment on the page from Clive Aspinall on November 9th. And he said something interesting, uh, having lived and worked in Indonesia from 1974 to 2001 as a Canadian geologist and now have a winter home in Mindanao, the Philippines, and stay in touch with geological associates who knew geologist Mike de Guzman before and during the Briex scam. I also knew Mike well. One would be surprised to know how many people tell me Mike is still alive, living in the Philippines, and actually visited with John Felderhoff before he died. Just the conspiracy stories that surround Mike de Guzman would make a great movie mystery. However, everything I know is passed to me secondhand. So thanks for sharing that, Clive Aspinall. Yeah, <laughs> what a story. I mean, uh, yeah, and they've made a movie out of it, and maybe they'll make more. Uh, so let's see what happens there. But uh, yeah, so thanks for the comment. And you guys are always welcome to comment uh, on the page. Uh, we love hearing from you. And finally, on the website, I want to take a look at this uh, story by Jeffrey Christian from the CPM Group, Changes in Financial Markets, Trouble Mining Industry. And just a quick reminder, Jeffrey Christian is now on TNM Leaders. So if you want to see him talk about more personal side of business and leadership, northernminer.com slash tnm-leaders. And yeah, we have a commentary here from him, and it's quite interesting. And yeah, there's even a slightly personal side to it. He talks basically about the importance of human understanding and analysis of history and of fundamentals. Jeffrey Christian is in New York, so he's at the center of this whole algorithmic computer-based trading, and it's that kind of trading's been around for years now, so it must be getting pretty intense with AI and just with the amount of money and capital that's 
at stake here, and the stakes couldn't be higher financially. So a very interesting article. I'm going to read a few paragraphs. Analysts at CPM have studied the precious metals and commodity markets, including investment trends and mining equities since the 1970s. This long and intimate involvement gives us insight into the transformations that clearly now are racking the buy side, the sell side, and the mining industry. The CPM group recently completed a study of over-the-counter and exchange metals markets. As part of the 2018-2019 project, CPM bought the best list of managers at hedge funds, commodity trade advisors, and commodity pool operators. Of the 6,800 fund managers on the list, 132 trade metals. Of those, 35 based their investment decisions on economic and fundamental factors. The rest traded based on price charts, price momentum, and computer-generated trades. Fewer than 2% of professional money managers focusing on futures and options, even trade metals, and fewer than 0.5% pay attention to trends in the metal markets, the mining industry, fabrication and investment demand, and the economic and political environments that shape these fundamentals. So metals hardly get any attention here. He continues, now CPM is studying institutional investment trends in mining and exploration companies. Institutional investors suffer from a range of transformations. There's a trend towards lower fees, reducing revenues and profits. Funds increasingly are investing in indexed exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and funds packaging numerous companies rather than individual companies. They also are shifting from funds managed by human portfolio managers and research teams to funds driven by computer-generated decisions. And I'm going to do a couple of more quotes here. The shift towards investing in indexed ETFs and funds means that mining companies large enough to be in such indexes have seen their prices rise, as generalist investors have bought such indexed investments in response to rising gold prices. Smaller mining companies not in such indexes have been largely flat and face increasing difficulty in raising capital. So, I mean, if when you go to these conferences... I didn't think things were so bad a year ago. I mean, it seems like things had recovered somewhat, at least since 2016. But you talk to mining companies and still sounds quite bleak where it's impossible to raise money for these juniors. And so maybe this is partial explanation here is the money is going into these ETFs, which generally gather and group. uh, They basket uh, these larger companies over the smaller companies. But Also, that's where maybe the opportunity lies. And I'm just going to quote one last paragraph here. Markets today are witnessing a shift from fundamentally driven investment decisions towards mechanized, automated, mass market investment products. This trend will last until markets change in a way not predicted by algorithms, based as they are on history and not present circumstances. Meanwhile, there will continue to be any number of investors, wealthy and ordinary, who will continue to want sentient human beings managing at least part of their money. Those investors will continue to focus on the fundamentals of the mining industry, the metals markets, and the underlying economic and political environment or landscape. They will continue to outperform the indexed funds, especially at turning points, as was the case in 2001, 2007, and 2011. So that is Jeffrey Christian from the CPM Group. And yeah, it seems like he's taking on this algo trading head-on and saying that, you know, it might not work so well with the metals markets and mining stocks. So that is our current headline, changes in financial markets, trouble mining industry. And with that, let's turn to metal prices.
Turning to metal prices, we get this information from our friends at Infomine.com. If you ever want to see these metal prices at any time, just search on Google for metal prices in Infomine, and this will be the first page that shows up. And on November 12th, we have gold at $1,453.43, which is $50 less than last week, well below $1,500 here. So that is significant. And silver is at $16.77, well below its $18.04 from last week. Platinum is also lower at $868.26. Last per eighth, we have copper at $2.66, a penny higher from last week. Aluminum is at 83 cents, which is 3 cents higher than last week. Lead is at 95 cents, which is 4 cents lower than last week. And nickel is at $7.34, which is lower than last week's quote of $7.60. And tin is slightly higher at $7.56, about 4 cents higher than last week. Cobalt remains mysteriously even at $16.10. Starting to think that chart is broken, but let's let's give it another week or two before we start emailing people. And zinc is at $1.14, one cent below last week's quote. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have our future interview with Nadine Miller, who is an MBA and an independent director at West Dome Gold Mines. She appeared at the Progressive Mind Forum, and our acting editor-in-chief, Trish Saywell, has done a follow-up interview with her and going deeper into the relationship between the mining industry and technology. And a quick little bio on Nadine here. Nadine Miller is an independent, non-executive director for West Dome Gold Mines, a Canadian junior gold company, and a strategic advisor at Oz Ventures. Oz is a Canadian hub for investment in cybersecurity, intelligence, and physical security AI-based technologies from Israel, a global leader in these sectors. Oz, and that's spelled A-W-Z, by the way. Oz manages $100 million between its first two venture capital funds. She has a master's degree from MIT and has a bachelor's of applied science degree from the University of Toronto. She obtained her MBA from the University of Oxford Said Business School. The combination of her engineering degrees and her MBA allow her to merge her passions, mining technology, and business. So a very impressive individual. She's I, some pretty head-turning ideas here, as we mentioned in our intro. I won't repeat them. You already heard them. So I'll just let Trish take it away, and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Nadine, you're an independent director at Westome Gold Mines and a strategic advisor at Oz Ventures, a hub for investments in cybersecurity, intelligence, and physical security AI-based technologies from Israel. But you've also got a rich background in geotechnical engineering and project management in the mining industry, and you've worked all over the place in North and South America, Australia, and Europe. And you've undertaken geotechnical mandates for projects ranging in size from less than 100,000 up to projects greater than a billion. But you've also got diverse experience in other industries, such as transportation, oil and gas, chemicals and infrastructure, which I think gives you an amazing perspective on the kinds of technologies being adopted in businesses outside of mining. My first question really is how badly does the mining sector lag behind 
some of these other industries in terms of adopting new technology? And can you give me any examples? We're not the greatest at implementing new technologies. And I think that clear sign of that is when you're somewhere and someone is talking to you about how their mining company is doing digital transformation. We're about to enter the 2020s, and we're talking digital transformation, which really is the 1980s. So I think that is a prime example of how mining is lagging behind. Where other industries are thinking forward 20 years. You know, what will our customers require in 20 years? It's not great for us. And why do you think, um, it, you know, the mining industry as a sector is so reluctant to try out and implement new technologies? It's our culture. And really, mining's been happening for thousands of years. And we've always done it that way. And why would we do it another way when it's worked so well? However, the world is changing around us, and we are not changing with it. And our attitude as an industry is, well, we've always done it this way, isn't working for us. And we're being bypassed by other industries that are changing with the times. But, okay, well, are there any success stories in the mining industry that you can point to in terms of adopting new technology, though? Yeah, so I think that um, Kirkland Lake is a great example of that. And Kirkland Lake had the foresight to work with uh, a startup company, Artisan, and bring in battery-operated vehicles into their mine. They took a chance, and they worked. I mean, they really had, if you listen to Tony speak, they really worked with Artisan so closely that they had custom-made vehicles for their mine. Hmm. And Artisan needed Kirkland Lake more than Kirkland Lake needed them, because for Artisan... They were just sold to Sandvik. So for Artisan, having those customers is more important, which is why they gave the one-on-one attention to Kirkland Lake. They needed them to show their investors that they were meeting their targets on their term sheets and so that they could go to the next level for the next series of funding. And if mining company were to be open and work with these new startups, because we don't do R&D anymore. R&D is not done. So let's work with startup companies that are ahead of the curve, implementing new technologies, and will work with us and customize something for us. They can't fail. If they fail, they don't get to the next round of funding. So I think that we have an opportune time. We need to advance quickly, but we don't do R&D. Let's work with somebody that will tailor what we need. Now, artisan vehicles are going in other mining companies. I mean, it's really, they set the bar for everybody else. But so is, but is Kirkland Lake an outlier then? I think that story is not the norm. I think that the majority of mining companies, and I'm generalizing, doing that would be very far out of their comfort zone because we have the mentality of, well, who else has put this technology in their mind? I don't want to be the first one. And Kirkland Lake is an early adopter. They were the first. So we need to change that mindset of who else has put this technology in and, okay, let me work with you. Are you willing to work one-on-one with my company? If you are, then let's move forward together. Startup needs the client, and we need to update ourselves. So it's a good relationship moving forward. Are there any other examples out there that you can think of besides Kirkland? I think that there are technologies that I thought would have taken off faster than it has. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hopeful that they will. But, for example, ore sorting. Ore sorting technology is advancing. I think it should be utilized at all times with everyone. If we can eliminate waste, sending waste to our process plant, that saves us money. It's not everywhere. That is a little more difficult, I think, for people to see the return on investment, but... 
you know, there are new technologies that are coming up. And I think that we have to look at technologies that are outside of mining as well. You know, we need to look at our OT that we have because that is our operational technologies are our process plants. And there are new technologies out there that specifically are tailored to that that can help us with predictive maintenance, with operational improvements that are AI enabled and that can actually tell us and give us new correlations of how to improve our plant where we didn't know or where we thought that our plant was optimally working, these technologies can help us improve that even better. And when you're processing 200,000 tons a day, that is a big number, even 1% improvement. I guess there's a fear that something could go wrong and that these are big investments. So I guess you have to look at the cost, obviously, but sometimes, the the example I gave on the OT, there is a company that's based out of Israel that they are a cybersecurity company. However, their deep learning learns your process facility and can help you with your operations and operational improvements. But then their cost right now isn't that much. And that's because they need to find clients because they need to go to the next level of funding. They need to get to Series B. And in order for that, they have to have a certain number of clients. Mm-hmm. So when you're working with a startup, some of them need clients so badly that they're almost giving away the technology. Mm-hmm. And then the mining companies think, well, it's so cheap, or they're willing to do it for free. It must not be worth anything. You have to understand both industries so that you can work well with each other. Are there other examples of technologies that you've seen elsewhere that you think would be perfect for the mining sector? I'm really focused right now on the cybersecurity area. But, I, you know, I think that there's technologies in all industries that could be incorporated, but it's very difficult to do that, to bring in something that has never been used in mining because everyone will ask who else has done it. And even if it's a comparable industry, for example, the chemicals industry, which I think could be considered the closest to us, mining companies, some of them have acid plants, and chemical companies produce acid. So we can compare technologies with that industry. And I think if something is working there, we should say, okay, well, if this is a logical installation because it's working at uh, a bromine plant and we have a a sulfuric acid plant and we can do an implementation. It doesn't matter that it hasn't been installed in any mining project before or any mining site. Let's look at who's doing something, what are they doing, how are they improving. They want to improve production just as we want to improve production. Mm -hmm. So we're both on the same line difficult because we have it's our culture to always think well where else has this gone in yes but i guess as the gray hairs eventually retire in this business uh and some of the millennials start taking over maybe that will change maybe there'll be more of an interest i I have been hoping for that since 2001 when i graduated grad school (laughs) (laughs) i haven't seen that and you know i have to tell you we come out of school bright-eyed, and we've been working with all of these new technologies, we've been doing research, we've been doing this, and we come out and we think, oh, I'll just tell everybody, and everyone, of course, will want to to do the same and utilize this and use this technology. It doesn't work that way. And then, I don't know what happens, 20 years later, and, uh, you know, you're in your 40s, and we're still not implementing stuff, and we've been working for 20 years, so we're still waiting. 
it's heartbreaking actually. It's heartbreaking that I'm still having this discussion almost 20 years after graduating from grad school. So then what what needs to change? What needs to shift? I mean, how can we introduce these technologies? Google goes out and says that uh, they're looking to abolish mining. That's our entire industry. Our message that we've been saying about mining really isn't being heard. So we are at a critical point. We are at an inflection point. We have to change. We, we have to modernize ourselves so that when Google goes out and makes a grandiose statement that they will be eliminating mining from all of their products, they don't say that anymore. I mean, that, that can't happen. There isn't enough gold to be recycled to put into electronics or other metals. That would become extremely expensive. I mean, anybody that owns gold, if actually Google could do that, keep your gold because it's going to be worth a lot. I guess cautiously optimistic might be the best description. Well, I think that we need to really look at adopting technologies, celebrate mining innovations when they come, when they happen, work with you know new companies, startups that are developing new technologies that are customized for us. I mean, it's great to have a customized vehicle. I would love that. Yeah, well, hopefully the mindset will change. I guess, is, is part of the issue that these mining companies are in silos and they don't really know what's going on out there? I think it's not that we're in silos. We read what's going on out there. When you think about, for example, a company getting hacked, you're thinking that a hacker is coming in to ask you for ransom what happened to Gold Corp a couple of years ago. But really, that, that's a low-level hacker. And that, that's what we're thinking. But what hackers are doing nowadays is they're hacking your OT. You don't even know that you're being hacked. And they will short your stock, for example. If a hacker really wanted to, do, to make money, asking us for ransom isn't how they're going to do it. They're going to go in to our most valuable areas, our process plants, hack the process plant, maybe blow or autoclave, depending on your mind. And then before they do that, um, they short your stock. So as soon as your autoclave is down and your process plant will take X number of months to be fixed, your stock goes down and they're making a load of money and they never have to let you know that they've hacked you. That's incredible. But, you know, <laughs> that that's what's going on. Hackers, what they want to do is they want to make money. They don't want to hurt people. Um, they don't want to hurt the environment. They don't want to hurt people, but they want money. And, you know, if you, who needs $100,000 when you can make millions? And nobody knows. So how widespread is this kind of hacking of process plants? So it's OT. It's, it's significant enough that insurance companies have entire departments now in cybersecurity. If you speak to an insurance company, this is what they're worried about because companies are protecting their IT, but they're not really looking closely at their OT. Pretty frightening, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I see some frightening things um, with Oz, but uh, I also see interesting things and opening my eyes to how the world is working and moving. So the mining company never knows that they've been hacked at all? Well, I mean, if they short your stock, yeah. they know that they're... The first thing that you know is that your stock has been shorted, but stocks get shorted all the time. I don't think people would correlate that your stock has been shorted and you've had a series of unfortunate events at your only mine, at your only asset, that has put your process plant down. 
So it just stocks at $10, they short it until whatever the short is. And then as soon as it fits, you know, they can make even more money. They know exactly what's in there. Once the malware's in, it's difficult, especially if you don't even know you have there and there. Well, is there anything else that you think you'd like to mention about this whole area of technology? I think that we need to celebrate our industry, but we also need to be very realistic. And when we talk about innovation, I think we need to talk about adoption before. And so I don't want to put anyone down, but I say adoption is like crawling and innovation is like running. And before we can run, we have to crawl. And so I think that we just have to open our eyes and look at other industries before we are completely bypassed. Well, that's probably the best ending point we could have. Thank you so much for for taking the time out of your busy day and, and speaking to us about this. It's a very important topic, obviously. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. As always, if you'd like to help out the podcast, feel free to leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory or share it with your friends online. We had a little bit of sound issues at the start, as you heard, but the information here is revealing and extremely important. I mean, if you're running a a mine in this day and age, you need to know this information as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, mining executives that don't know this information might want to send this over to them. Thank you once again for listening. It's an absolute pleasure to deliver you this podcast. Until next week, take care.